And this is View of the Valley's podcast with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you doing today? I'm doing well today. I uh, just celebrated my wife's birthday this past Monday, so happy belated birthday to her. I'll probably keep under wraps how old she is so I don't get in any more trouble than I normally get myself into. <laughs> but we were able to celebrate that with her on Monday and uh, having a pretty good week so far. How you doing today, Chris? Not doing too bad. Actually, uh, a little behind schedule today. I should have had my packing done by now, but I kind of wait to the last minute to get some of that stuff done. So I got to pack when we get done here and then on the road for a baseball tournament in Kansas City. I'm definitely one of those people like, oh, uh, I usually wear like basically the same three or four outfits. I'm going to be gone for a week. I have 17 combinations of outfits and just like I, I overpack That's for sure, you know, um, you know, and especially, you know, right now, you know what to wear. You get in the spring or the fall. It's like, well, you could go an hour north and much colder weather, an hour south, much warmer weather. And all of a sudden you're worried about all sorts of stuff. Like I have long pants, I yep. have shorts, I have, you know, be one of those guys that dresses in layers and, you know, all sorts of weird stuff. Well, that's how I am. Like it doesn't matter where, where we go. I always have to have, you know, maybe like a, a button down shirt golf polo or then i have to have all my golf shorts and then i never wear half of it it's just the waste of packing well and then especially coaching a sport like baseball you're outside like well what if it rains you know like i have to have a pair of backup shoes my regular shoes so if it rains i can wear that i need a a rain jacket just all sorts of weird things i think one thing that you don't think about as a high school person is the use of an umbrella yeah like in high school like well it's only going to be, I don't have to worry about the rain when I'm going into school or out of school. And it's probably only going to be one of those. It's not going to happen very often, so it's not that big a deal. Yep. Then you go to college and you're like, hey, I got to go to class. It is freaking pouring and <laughs> I got a 10 minute walk to class. And it's probably still going to be raining after class because that's going to be less than an hour. Like, So it's just one of those things that you don't really, it doesn't really dawn on you or the importance isn't there until later on in life, like using an umbrella. Well, like I found that out in college, you know, the parking lot may have only been, I don't know, a quarter of a mile from the building. But if it was downpouring, that quarter of a mile felt like it was four miles. Right. Like walk into class. I'm soaked. Now I got to sit here for 50 minutes. I'm drenched. I'm miserable. And right. Yeah. Definitely. It's, it's just interesting how, like, in you know, as adults, we're like, why don't these kids have umbrellas? Because like, they don't need one. It's two minutes from the parking lot to their school, and they don't care that they're no, wet for first period. Not at all. So, But during today's episode, we'll discuss how the Big Ten canceling their non-conference football schedule will match, you know, matches up with, you know, some of the major conferences like the Missouri Valley, how that plays a role in their financial, their financial budget. Uh, Wyatt Wheeler, a sports reporter from the Springfield News Leader, joins the show to discuss Missouri State hoops. And at the end of the show, we do our Mount Rushmore segment. TJ will have SIU Carbondale, while I'll do mine on SEMO. But first things first, TJ, how is the Big Ten decision to cancel their non-conference football slate going to affect, you know, like the Missouri Valley? Well, I think financially is the biggest thing. Uh, I think Doug Elgin said, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, last week at the uh, summer teleconference, that normally the conference gets like $15 million from the NCAA tournament, and this year they only got six. I think that's the the pie that usually gets split up between sure. all the schools, and of course the conference gets their share. Bradley, who would have been the tournament rep, gets a little bit larger share. So that automatically, you're looking at better than 50% gets cut. 
And then schools with football and men's basketball, the teams are usually told, hey, you need to bring in X amount for the entire athletic department. You know, whether it be a school like SU, SIU Edwardsville with their men's basketball program, the football programs at those schools that have it, we need you to bring in this much. You're not going to get it, or you might get a percentage of it, but overall, you need to bring in that much. So, directly affecting the Missouri Valley, Illinois State was supposed to play at University of Illinois, $450,000. University of Northern Iowa, UNI, was supposed to play at Iowa, and that was going to be a $650,000 check for them. So, yeah, short trip, in, in-state game, you know, and, you know, 650000 and then SIU was supposed to play at Wisconsin, and that was half a million dollars as well. And then kind of venturing out into the Missouri football, Missouri Valley Football Conference, South Dakota State was supposed to play at Iowa State for 515000 So now you're looking at all those schools or sports programs are going to have to find $600,000 that they were kind of counting on. Well, and, and it's not even just the Missouri Valley. You know, you take any mid-major conference like that, a lot of those programs and conferences their budgets are built on those money games because that's where they get the majority of their you know essentially revenue that Mm -hmm. helps you know financially get that program throughout a season or you know multiple seasons with you know airfare you know the road trips on the buses or you know right equipment and it's going to be tough to see how that translates into uh other other sports outside of football because football is the main money maker for the NCAA and if that you know nobody knows if that season's even going to happen right so if that let's say gets canceled how does that affect you know basketball yeah basketball is one of the the bigger money makers for sports in the NCAA but it's not doesn't bring in nearly what football does yeah I think football probably brings in more but you have more schools that count on the NCAA basketball money sure because there's just a, a larger number of schools, you know, a lot of them even in, in the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley conferences. I think taking away the money, I know as an SIU grad, I'd known about the Wisconsin game for two years or, you know, since March of 2019, at least. That's when I first heard about it. So now you had something that I knew people were planning on going up to that game. I can imagine as a player. That was something you're looking forward oh, to. Yeah. It's probably something that Coach Hill used as a uh, recruiting tool. Like, hey, we're going to play at University of Wisconsin. And just, you know, uh, I've said before that my son's going to be a freshman at SIU. And I had told him just in the last month, I said, you know, I know it's going to be early on in the school year, but I think you do everything in your power to see if you can get a group of people to go up <laughs> to watch a football game at the University of Wisconsin. I've been twice, I think, to see games there. It's just electric. I mean, there is so much that goes on. And then, of course, the famous uh, between the third and fourth quarter, they have the House of Pain jump around plays. And the player, sure. I mean, I've seen players, I think one year I went there playing Iowa, and Iowa players were jumping between the third and the fourth quarter. And I mean, Wisconsin's just taking it to them. And it just, <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, coach probably like that too much. There probably guys out in the back and yeah. <laughs> the cheerleaders and everybody. I mean, people that you think came in in wheelchairs and crutches there jumping. I mean, you look weird if you're not jumping during that. Well, it, I mean, yeah, if, if, you, if you're a school playing at a Power Five conference like that, I mean, even if you're like a student at a school in the Missouri Valley that's, you know, they don't really care a whole lot about, you know, let's say, you know, Missouri State football. Mm-hmm. But 
the environment and what is, you know, what you're able to do up at a school like that, I mean, that gets your student body, you know, uh, engaged in the game, even if they don't really have a lot of, you know, excitement towards that program. But then, you know, you're not being able to go up there, then it starts to become, well, yeah, I like watching uh, Carbondale go play Missouri State, but Mm -hmm. it's not the same feel as Missouri State playing, you know, at a power five. Right. Same thing in the OVC. You know, if you're like a, if you're a player, you get psyched up to go play against, you know, Missouri. Let's say you're from SEMO because they were supposed to play Missouri in, I think, two years, which it mutually got canceled. But that's a whole different ball game playing at Mizzou than, you know, nothing against Tennessee Martin, but going and playing at Tennessee Martin. Right. Because the, the facilities and the environment are just completely different. Yeah, or even playing like a cross-conference game between these two conferences. Like, okay, well, maybe SEMO picks up SIU for another year for that. It, it's just not the same. It's you not. Know, going to get to play Mizzou, play an SEC school, kind of prove, like we've talked about before, I get to prove like, hey, maybe I should have been here. Or maybe it tells you like, yeah, these guys are a different level of uh, athlete. Well, and, and not even just that, then you bring in like the, from the TV standpoint, because if you're playing at Wisconsin, chances are it's going to be televised on the Big Ten Network. Right. And yeah, if you're at M- I'm an MVC or OVC school. Yeah, it'll be on ESPN three or um, ESPN plus. Right, but it's not the same as being on Big Ten Network. Right, the and, viewership's not there, and it gets those schools in front of new eyes. Okay, here's a kid that you know has been in Wisconsin playing all his life. Maybe he's not, you know, uh, that level of player, but he sees was you know SIU come in have a great game or you know just impressed by the program and maybe maybe he's interested maybe you get that guy that may have gone to a different school just because he got a chance to see a play and you know you gotta think there's chicago eyes on it too which you know for most of the schools in these conferences is a pretty big deal it is so we'll see how how all the coronavirus related impacts affect not only football but the budgets for you know basketball and other sports because other conferences and even you know programs or schools in those conferences they're starting to cut numerous right. varsity athletics and hopefully that'll start coming to an end here for too long well yeah and then just yesterday uh, the associated press reported from the national institute of health that they are taking uh trial vaccine to the next kind of stage and which they're going to introduce it to a, a much larger group for their test for their testing so they're thinking that if things go perfectly knock on wood that they may be able to have it by the end of the year first of the year i wonder how many schools leaders at schools are going to kind of count on that and go hey if we can just push back i mean we've already heard the talk about pushing football this spring pushing basketball to the spring i wonder if that will get louder now that we're starting to hear news about that potentially happening and the National Institute of Health is not the only group working on it. I think there's a group from uh, Johnson & Johnson. There's a group from Oxford. And so, you know, and I saw that Dr. Fauci said, you know, people think this is a race to be first. He goes, I hope everybody finds a vaccine so we have plenty, you know, because that's going to be the other thing. Like, yeah, yeah it may be ready in, in December, but how quickly do we get it to the masses? So, but I can definitely see that that noise, that that discussion starting to get louder about people like, why don't we just wait? We're close. Why don't we just wait? So you don't know. Yeah, time will tell, I guess. Uh, But let's go ahead and bring in Wyatt Wheeler as he's joining the show to talk uh, Missouri State Hoops. 
And we are joined by Wyatt Wheeler, sports reporter from the Springfield News Leader. Wyatt, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you joining the show and taking time out of your day to uh, talk Missouri State hoops. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yep. yep. Uh, so that uh, our listeners can kind of get you, get to know you. How'd you uh, get interested in sports journalism, and how'd you land at the News Leader? Well, my landing at the News Leader story is weird. Um, I woke up one morning and had to go to the bathroom, and I tweeted at the news leader, um, can I have a job? And then I went back to sleep. I woke up with a couple editors with my in my inbox. So uh, that's kind of how I got a part-time job here, and then they laid off everybody else. And uh, <laughs> and then, they, uh, and then I, lucky me, gets to stick around and be the sports reporter and everything. So uh, it's been kind of cool, but... Uh, Kind of, it's, it's it's a lot, but uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. But uh, got interested. I mean, sports and everything. I knew I wasn't going to be any good going off to any colleges for anything. So I wanted to be around it. And uh, sports journalism just seemed like a good way to do it. So you wrote a piece about the MVC commissioner Doug Elgin's comments during the summer teleconference. What kind of impact do you think the COVID nineteen pandemic is going to have on the conference schools? And more specifically, the basketball season. Oh man, it's uh, it's kind of uh, anybody's guess is as good as mine right now. I mean, basketball's so far out right now. Uh, just kind of keeping an eye on football and everything, just trying to see if that's going to happen with people moving around their conference schedules and whatnot. Um, but it's, it's just kind of a guessing game until it gets uh, to the point where people have to make decisions. So uh, I think the I think the most notable impact that we'll probably see kind of right off the bat for for like Missouri Valley schools, I think I think they can do something with scheduling for the men's basketball, especially. <clears throat> I think with men's basketball, you look at how women's basketball you have travel partners. Uh, so Missouri State, when they go play at like Valparaiso, they're going to play at Loyola in the same trip. So, I mean, that's a, kind of like a little regional going to play at these places. Uh, you could play at Illinois State. You're going to play Bradley just because they're close together. So I think that's kind of uh, – it's closer together. Um, it's it's going to help with travel and stuff. I think that's something we, I think I, that's kind of something I would expect to see crossover with the men's to, from the women's to men's schedule, just so you're able to save a little bit of money and be in those regions and play those games uh, when you when they're closer. Um, and that's just if we do play. Uh, I mean, you look at it; you, it's changing every day. You see the you see the CDC director coming out today saying that uh, winter is going to be one of the most trying times in American history. So, I mean, it's uh, you never you never really know right now until something happens and people have to make decisions. But it's going to be uh, really interesting to see the type of things that uh, people are going to have to do and come up with. So, uh, also, you uh, were there for the teleconference with Coach Ford as well. you have any major takeaways from some of Coach Ford's comments about the Bears this season? Yeah, I think uh, it was it was more – I was more interested in hearing some of his stuff on um, the new guys. And the new, uh, the new players are uh, 
I mean, for the second year in a row, Missouri State's coming into a season where they have pretty much a overhauled roster. The year before, it was a bunch of grad transfers. Uh, this year, it's more on the JUCO side. But the, but it was interesting to hear him talk about Gage Prim, who's the lone, who's the carryover, the Bears' lone senior. Uh, scholarship player going into this year should be one of the better players in the valley uh really really good center clean just smooth with his movements uh, a lot of things we don't see very often in basketball these days but uh he should be one of the better players in the valley i mean watching him go one-on-one with uh uh, Crutwig at Loyola uh, is always a fun one, and uh, they got the best of each other. Uh, split that series last year, and they were—it was just a fun matchup to watch down low. And and he was—he was banged up last year, so he was—he uh, had some lower leg injury that wasn't really disclosed. Um, but it was something that he dealt with the entire season, had to be load managed and everything. So to hear that he's 100% and that the quarantine might have been the best thing for him just to be able to stay off his legs uh, is very encouraging for Missouri State to, when it, that's their best player. Yeah, I think, And then you, and and then you look at the JUCO kids that they do have coming in. So you look at the Marcus Sharp. Uh, he's a point guard, uh, first team All American, first team All American JUCO point guard. They didn't really have a point guard last year after Tyreek Dixon got hurt. So there is, uh, it's a, it's an encouraging resume for him to come in here with, and knowing that he's going to be a, a contributing point guard right, right away. And then Keaton Hervey's a kid from New Mexico Junior College. Um, super athletic forwards going to be able to play multiple positions and I think that's that's the one guy that I think is kind of, like has a chance to explode and score and score a lot for the Bears and then there's the young guys and Isaiah Mosley uh, especially just the, um, being a top guy he should be one of the better sophomores or young guys in the league and should be a star here in the next few years so is there a chance there are too many new faces on the team, especially coming off a season when it seemed like the team had a lot of cohesiveness where it was kind of lacking? Yeah, I think it's. I think this is a good thing. Um, you're going to see, I mean, these guys are going to at least have two years together, minus Prim when he takes off after graduating this year. I think this is going to be a little better. I think uh, they, they hear Dana and some of the stuff talk about um, uh just these guys are a lot less a lot less selfish than the team was last year. Dana's not afraid to go out there and say, "Hey, last team." In that quote, you hear Dana saying, "Last team, last year's team was selfish," um, and I think that was a priority for them. Uh, just going into the off season, going into recruiting, was to find some guys that are going to be here a little bit longer, and uh, aren't those grad transfers for transferring just to play and try to get a good year out of themselves. Uh, I think this is a little more of a. You see some. Uh, I think the Marcus Sharp's a good one. They'll be able to pass the ball. I think Herbie's one that's going to be able to pass the ball. We already saw that Mosley and uh, Jamonte Black last year would pass the ball. So I think there's. I, I, you uh, when you talk about cohesiveness, I think. Uh, I think it's. I think getting a brand new, fresh roster compared to the one they had last year is definitely a step in the right direction because it's different and it's overhauled. So it's not going to be that same group as a year ago. 
it feels like uh, the last two years that the expectations kind of the opposite happened under Coach Ford. I know when he took over for Coach Lust, there's kind of that, okay, we're going to give him a year, and everyone felt they overperformed. And then last year, they were picked to win the league but finished sixth. So looking at this next year, the third year always seems to be a really big deal. What do you think it needs? What is the, what does the season need to be for it to be successful for the Bears? Yeah, I, I mean, the expectations aren't high. I mean, you, they kind of, they, I mean, they deserve to drop after what they had last year. And I think that's probably a good thing for these guys. Um, Dana's in the third year of a five-year contract. I think a little bit's going to start, I think a little bit of pressure is going to start to build up. I don't think he's any in any position to where he could get fired after a bad year because of financial situation right. across everybody right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's an important year just kind of showing there is improvements there can be there can be, can build a winner especially since he's going into a, a second overhauled roster where he's picking these guys um people don't we don't nobody questions his ability to recruit but they do question uh, just kind of his coaching ability on the floor um and i think i think that's something that we're really going to need to see improved going into this year um another another decent uh List, another decent list of names and stuff where he went and got them, but it's going to be a, um, it's going to be another test to see if he can get these guys to come together and play uh, uh, play a better season this year. So when you're on the road covering a Missouri Valley Conference game, is there a facility or campus that stands out to you like? You like covering a game there just because of the atmosphere, and you know it's usually you know quite a bit of a sellout. Well, I'm I'm from Normal, so I always love uh, I love I love a trip to Illinois State. Um, and there's not really a bit. I don't really have least favorite places to go. I haven't been to all of them because uh, we don't really we don't pay too. We haven't been uh, paying too much for me to go on the road just with uh, financial stuff and me having to cover other things back in Springfield. Um, but I'm, I'm a sucker for going up to Chicago to Loyola. I, I think that's a, that environment's really cool. Just a smaller gym and uh, uh, people can get pretty rowdy in there. Uh, Illinois State hasn't had the big crowds it has had 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 in years past, but there's uh, there's it's uh, I mean it's home to me and I enjoy going up there seeing Jim Benson and, and I mean just being able to visit with a ton of the guys in the valley. Um, uh, the beat writers and whatnot, just uh, they're all really good dudes, and I have enjoyed, I pretty much enjoy anywhere I can go. I saw on uh, your Twitter, I don't know if it was earlier this week or late last week, that you're getting behind the Bring a Whataburger to Springfield, Missouri. So I think we're on the same page as far as uh, our food tastes. Uh, if we're going to Springfield, you got a food recommendation for us? Oh, we're, we're finally getting a raisin canes. Uh, okay. I'm, that's a uh, it's the chicken finger place. Right. That's kind of more south, more south Kansas City. St. Louis has a few now. I right. usually yep. hit up that when I'm in when I'm in town for anything Valley related. Uh, love love raising canes. Um, we got we got a good barbecue spot in City Butcher. You got to get there for lunchtime so before it sells out. Um, 
yeah, those are, I mean, those are, I mean, I probably wouldn't put Raising Cane's at the top of any list to, uh, <laughs> to, for the must, must eat places. But I mean, that's what I'm excited about right now. But, uh, um, there's, uh, and then there's, uh, there's a burger place, Mo Beef downtown. It's my favorite burgers in town. Um, that's not too, too far of a drive from the arena. But there's good spots if you. I mean, there's good spots if you look it up. We do. There's a pretty good job uh, around Springfield uh, updating food reviews on websites and whatnot. So whatever you're craving, you can probably find something pretty good. So where can our listeners find uh, more of your content? Yeah, I'm at. I'm on Twitter at Wyatt Wheeler underscore NL. Um, that's where that's pretty much, I mean, I'm on there 24 seven, uh, unfortunately bad for my mental health. Um, <laughs> and, and you could, my articles are at news-leader.com, uh, everything that I do there and probably way too much of my stuff is there, but <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's where you can get me. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Why we really appreciate your time and, uh, best of luck to you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Wyatt. And just want to give a special thanks to Wyatt for joining the show. I know, TJ, it was probably good for you hearing a Missouri Valley uh, Conference uh, writer give some insight on Missouri State hoops and just the conference in general. Yeah, you know, someone that was actually able to listen to the teleconference that they had last week. Again, I think we said last week it was supposed to be like 90 minutes, ended up being like three hours or whatever it was. So, you know, Wyatt gave some good insight, some good thoughts about, uh, you know, what Commissioner Elgin might have had to say, and even more so about what Coach Ford had to say, and uh, you know he kind of was almost telepathic in the questions that we would ask him a question, and he was answering <laughs> other questions for us. So it was really good. We got a lot of information from him, and again, really appreciate Wyatt coming on the show for us. So let's go ahead and get into our Mount Rushmore segment. TJ will have SIU Carbondale, while I have Southeast Missouri State. TJ, I'll let you get it started with your. Uh, all in honor here. I think I think this is the one we've been looking forward to. It just works out that they were in the same show. You know, you're the big SEMO fan, the connection there, and obviously having Coach Nutt on last week, and myself being a Southern Illinois Carbondale grad, and uh, you know, so I think this was probably the toughest one for me. Yeah, I think this is the time I was like, man, maybe we should have done the starting five, just <laughs> go, go on the uh, positionless starting five instead of, you know stealing barstool sports idea for mount rushmore's that this would have been the time because my fifth one i mean i feel like every week the fourth spot comes down to a couple guys but i feel like the last two spots there were three guys that were deserving so that so you was you had a you had quite the honorable mention list here that was left off yeah i think i think my number five is as close as any other number or closer than any you know number five i've had like if someone came in and said i think this guy deserves to be on here like uh, i you're 100% right, you know. Uh, but only two retired numbers, so I'll start out with the first one. Charlie Chico Vaughn, uh, 1959 to 1962, all-time leading score, and this is before their days of Division One. But he scored 2,088 points in 85 games, averaged about 25 points a game, if my math is right. And to put that in perspective, number two on the list for SIU is Kent Williams. He played 45 more games and is still 75 points behind Chico Vaughn. Wow. So the dude could fill it up. Uh, he's a Southern Illinois guy. He's from Tam, uh, 
I think it's Tams, Illinois. It's down south. Uh, he's also the all-time leading scorer in Illinois high school boys basketball. Now, the guy played you know, in the 1950s, obviously no three-point line. And if my memory serves correctly, he's almost 200 points ahead of the next guy. If uh, you're an older person like me, you might re- remember Andy Kaufman that played at the University of Illinois. And he's got like 3,100 points to uh, Chico's 3358. Wow. Uh, fourth round pick by the St. Louis Hawks. Played for the St. Louis Hawks and the Detroit Pistons for five years. Then switched over to the ABA and played for the Pipers, where they won a title when he was on their team in 1968. And he was also an all-star that year. And again, he's one of the two Southern Illinois players that has their number retired. That's so impressive. I think that's pretty easy to put that guy on your list and have him right up there at the top. So... Not trying to get sidetracked here, uh, but real quick, you being a guy that has a lot of different college shirts, professional shirts, do you have any St. Louis Hawks attire? Uh, I do not have St. Louis Hawks attire. My focus has largely been college uh, okay. college ones. So I think we're in the last time we counted, I was in the 150 range oh. of different colleges that were represented, whether it be T-shirts, sweatshirts, polos or a large portion of them, shorts, things like Jeez. that. So, yeah, it's it's semi-embarrassing. <laughs> well, number one on my list for SEMO, uh, uh, William Bud Ely, 1995 to 1999, uh, fourth in points scored with 1,611, all-time career leader in rebounds with 955, top five in steals with over 130, also, number two in block shots with 156. So this is a guy that check marks basically those top five categories except for assists and being in the top five and, you know, those four. OVC Player of the Year and OVC Male Athlete of the Year during the 1998-99 campaign. OVC Newcomer of the Year during the 95-96 season. And also OVC First Team candidate twice. So he made the OVC first team twice and has also played professionally in Europe and Asia. So this is a guy, when you walk into the Show Me Center, there's a big old picture hanging from, right. the, hanging from the rafters as you're going up the, up the stairs. So always remember that uh, picture because I've seen it hundreds of times walking in. Right. Yeah, it's one of those guys that they really honored there that they really kind of recognize as the SEMO the basketball yep. player. Uh, number Two on my list, and it's not – I didn't put them in order. I just went right down the list. But I think this guy would probably be the first one, probably the most recognizable Southern Illinois athlete. Um, you think of Hart that was their quarterback that ended up playing at the, in the NFL. I think it was for the, the Big Red here in St. Louis. But Walt Frazier, 1965 is when he got there. 67 is when he left. He actually had to miss his junior year, I believe it was, because he had some academic trouble, and he's um, – been open about that time. Talked about uh, the interview did with Connor Onion, who we talked to a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, that was the year that I couldn't play. So I was on scout team every day. So I just made it my job to make their life miserable. And that's when he really kind of took it upon himself to make himself a, a great defensive player. Was actually recruited to play football as well. And, but said so he looked around and wanted to play professionally. And there were no black quarterbacks in the NFL or at the pro levels at that time. So he thought basketball was his best chance. So sophomore year, leads SIU to the Division II finals where they lose – 
to Jerry Sloan playing for the Evansville Purple Aces. Mm. I believe that game went into overtime, but Evansville won that. Like I said, he missed his junior year. His senior year, he takes SIU to the NIT. They beat Marquette in what my research told me was the last game ever played at the old Madison Square Garden. And by all accounts, there were scouts there. People knew that, hey, you know, if you perform well in the NIT, because it was a much bigger deal than it is now, that you'd have a shot. Well, takes him to the championship, wins the MVP of the NIT, and then shortly thereafter gets drafted in the first round by the New York Knicks. Two-time NBA champion. If you're familiar with the big Willis Reed game in 1970 where Willis Reed got hurt and they didn't think he was going to play, and then he comes down and the, the place just goes bananas and he like hits his first warm-up shot and the, the garden's going bananas. And I think... I don't know that he had very many points other than his first shot of the game, but that's the Willis Reed finals. But you know he was had a huge game for uh, the Knicks then. He was a seven-time All-Star. NBA's 50th anniversary team from 1996 was in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame 1987, College Basketball Hall of Fame 2006. Has his number retired by SIU and the New York Knicks, and the list of things that he was the record holder for when he left the Knicks, when he got traded to Cleveland, were unbelievable. It was like minutes played, games played, shots attempted, things like that. But the one that still stands, he's still the all-time leader in assists for the New York wow. Knicks. So uh, I think it's, this is as easy as putting Larry Bird on the Indiana State <laughs> list as far as I'm concerned. So those were the two easy ones for me. You know, the, Like I said, the only two guys with their number retired – so that's where you kind of go to the guys that seem to be the face of the franchise, so to speak. So number two on my list, kind of a more recent guy, uh, Antonius Cleveland played at SEMO from 2013 to 2017. Top five in most career points with 1,556. Second in career in steals with 159. Eighth in block shots with 76. So this is a guy that, found a lot of easy buckets during his time at SEMO by playing great defense because there was time and time after after again where he'd steal a ball easy dunk and he was known for his highlight reel dunks he was a dark horse dunk champion of 2017 and was also a national slam dunk contest participant in 2017 and now that dark horse dunker champion if you're not familiar with it it was more or less like a fan slash university vote. So you'd go up against, you know, some other guy from a different school and the most votes, you know, one moved on to the next one. And I mean, he was he was known for his highlight reel dunking during that year and especially throughout his whole time at SEMO. But most games started in a SEMO history with 109 OVC first team during the 2016-2017 campaign. And Antonius Cleveland is currently a part of the Dallas Mavericks organization. I think right now he's on like a two-way contract okay. with them and their uh, G League team. Okay. But very athletic, and you know he was one of the guys that Simo brought in as a freshman and stayed throughout his whole time. Actually at, kept him and kept him. So credit yeah. to Coach Nutt for uh, and his staff right. for bringing him in. And you could tell last time when we spoke to Coach Nutt, he's very great relationship. It seems. That those two have yeah um, so next on my list the kind of the, the next two each come from probably kind of the 
at least the Division One golden era for SIU basketball. Darren Brooks was actually there for five years. Uh, started, I didn't, excuse me, did not start. Played three games, I believe it was, his freshman year, got hurt, ended up redshirting. So, but that kind of adjusted things for him, I think, that where his timing was even better. He graduated, uh, is still now the sixth leading scorer, fourth in assists, and tied for 10th in blocked shots. He's the only player in the history of the MVC to win both the Larry Bird Trophy and the Defensive Player of the Year twice. It's only been done four times. That's incredible. He's done it. He did it twice. So, you know, uh, one of the guys I left off played in the same era as him, and this is ultimately what it was, that he was just that head and shoulders to to be both ends of the floor. Uh, They were 104 and 28 when he was there. During his four years there. 124. 104. 104. And 28 losses. Holy cow. And they finished first or tied for first all four years in the conference. So that obviously helped lead them to four times that they went to the NCAA tournament. So you're saying he was somewhat instrumental on this team. Yeah. Yeah. They were the best team in the league for four years. And he was the best team, you know, best player in the league for two of those four. So it wasn't wasn't like they were a middle of the pack team, like, hey, you know, if it wasn't for this guy, they would have been (laughs) even worse. Like, no, this is the guy that he was the best. You know, know, he was the guy that stood out most on that. Uh, MVC 50 greatest that they put together and played professionally overseas. And I think he's coaching, uh, I don't know if it's high school basketball now, or at least was coaching high school basketball. So. But has had has had some type of coaching experience. Since. Yes. Number third on my list, we're going back a little bit here. Uh, Carl Ritter played at SEMO from 1959 to 63. Uh, career leader in points with 1,916. Uh, consistently got to the free throw line, uh, most free throw attempts, and also has made the most free throws. He made 580 during his SEMO career. Second team National Association of the Basketball Coaches during the 1963 season and Associated Press team during the 1961 year. Part of the Missouri Basketball Hall of Fame as well as the SEMO Hall of Fame. He was part of the inaugural class that was inducted into the SEMO Hall of Fame. And currently, Carl Ritter's number of 32 is the only retired number at SEMO. Only one number that's retired there. Only huh? one right now. All right. Well, I've told you there are four guys or four times that it's been done with Defensive Player of the Year and Larry Bird of the Year. One is Paris Lee from Illinois State. Two of the others were uh, Darren Brooks. The fourth one is Ashraf Amaya. Played at SIU from 1990 to 1993, still in the Rich Heron era. Still stands as the fifth leading scorer, second in rebounds, third in block shots. I think if you took all their games in for two seasons he led the Missouri Valley Conference in field goal percentage one year he led the league in block shots and just just kind of did it all for them so he won the Larry Bird trophy in 1992 two-time defensive player of the year was three times they was first team all conference and spent parts of two seasons in the NBA he was actually with the Vancouver Grizzlies during their inaugural season and then several seasons in the CBA overseas even played in the in what was now what's now called the the G League with the NBDL so kind of bounced around played in Greece and part of the MVC 50 greatest but that's kind of that era 
when SIU, I think, kind of started to hit the scene. Right. And pe- people started to take notice there in the, the early to mid-90s of SIU basketball. So uh, probably the tough one, my, my, my fifth guy is uh, Southern Illinois, Illinois native Kent Williams. I uh, had the opportunity to see Kent play in high school because they were still um, – they played at a local high school here when he was on the road. And so I'm put up quite a game. And then uh, one of the historic games at the old Camo X, Coca-Cola, 7-Up, whatever you want to call it, yeah. shootout that they used to have. And he was there one year. I think he scored 47 points in the game. Now, he did a, an interview uh, with Connor Onion, uh, Connor Onion's podcast that we talked about. And – Kent talked about that he at first didn't think that uh, coach liked him. <laughs> that Bruce Weber, he thought Bruce Weber only recruited him because they were told like, "Hey, you need to to look at this guy." And said, "The legend has it that at that game at the uh, what's now the Enterprise Center is that Bruce Weber was sitting up towards the top of the the Enterprise Center." Well, then Kent had a whole bunch of points in the first quarter, so. Weber made his way down a little bit further. At halftime, he has X number of points. By the third quarter, you know, third quarter, he has even more points. So by by the fourth quarter, they said he was sitting in press row, all of his SIU gear on, just you know, like and you know, how much is that, you know, folklore and stuff like that. But it's a great story to tell. So you know, Kent, you know, talked about that. You know, after that game, he really felt like a warmer environment. But Kent is is probably the one that I had the most trouble. Leaving leaving off of this list, and you know, like I said, if someone came out and said, "How'd you not put Kent Williams on there?" I was like, I, I I don't have a good answer for you, <laughs> but I don't have a good answer to leave either those, uh, you know, Brooks or Amaya off the list as well. Sure. So that was, uh, I'm not saying I lost sleep, but it's definitely been on my mind. <laughs> well, to round out uh, my Mount Rushmore for Simo, uh, fourth guy on the list, uh, Tyler Stone played at SEMO from 2011 to 2014. Sixth in points with 1,546. Seventh in career rebounds, 768. And third in block shots with 124. He was OVC first team during the 2013-14 season. OVC second team twice. And he was the NABC all-district first team during the 2011-12 campaign. Also, College Sports Madness Mid-Major Player of the Week during the last week of December during the 2012 season. Also was a participant in the Portsmouth Invitational during the two th- following the 2014 season. So the Portsmouth Invitational is kind of like a kind of like a basketball tournament where some of the guys that are hoping to you know get drafted or catch on with a summer NBA team mm-hmm. go. Uh, but he transferred to SEMO from Missouri prior to his three-year playing career at SEMO, averaged 19.3 points during his senior year, while also averaging nine and a half boards during the same season. He has been playing overseas since 2014 and has averaged double figures for eight of the nine teams he has played for since going overseas. Now, this is a guy that really helped put SEMO back on the map, um, part of the well, he was on the roster for those three seasons where they had a 500 record or winning season. Mm-hmm. And without him, I mean, it it would have been a, been a different picture. I mean, he was a guy that, you know, other teams were, you know, afraid if he gets the ball, he's going to do damage. And uh-huh. uh, I believe he did see time with the Indiana Pacers during a 
the summer trying right. to catch on with them, but very talented player and another great uh, guy that Coach Nutt brought in as a transfer. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, recent enough that a lot of people can remember that era for SEMO basketball. So great names. Again, You, it's it's so hard to get these lists down to four. It I is. mean, it hasn't been the problem of, like, how do I get to four? It's like I, got, I can only have four, you know, and uh, I think that happens – most everywhere we had the guy from the D1 docket. He had yep. the all-time list, and then he goes from the list that I've been been watching. So it's it's always fun to de- to debate and have the conjecture and go back and forth. And it's just one of those things that we enjoy doing. Now, if you're familiar with our conferences for our listeners, you're probably thinking like, well, what's what's TJ going to do for these? You know, I obviously only have one school left in Valparaiso. Yeah, and there's. 12 schools in uh, the Ohio Valley. So I'm going to go ahead and do the two most recent departees of the conference, if you will, and and do Creighton and Wichita State and put together their Mount Rushmore as well. It's just kind of do out that. The, yep. Equal yep. out the OVC. So maybe we should put these uh, all-time teams together. And like, I wonder, there's probably, there's got to be a video game where we can put all these guys together and uh, create our, play it out. Yep. Create our all-time team from the OVC. Yep. OVC. yep. And somebody that's better at video games than me <laughs> will we'll definitely have to play. I was that kid. I had a Nintendo, the old NES system, and my friends would come over and kick my butt at my own games. Like, I'm going to go outside. This is awful. <laughs> you know, maybe one of my sons will play it. But, you know, kids today, I don't know if you're aware of this, but kids today, they will watch videos of guys playing video games. Uh it's funny you say that because I'm in a group chat with like 12 other 12 other of my friends and all they do, they sit there and and watch you know the the college football games that are being played on I can't do it people bet on it I can't do that I just I don't yeah I miss sports more than anybody but to me I draw the line somewhere and it's yeah. I won't do that well <laughs> the way I've justified it when I watch my sons do it and that they'll do it with you know Minecraft or whatever is it's kind of like me watching adult men play a sport. You know, this, why is it any different, Dad? And on some level, it's not, and they're learning things. They're, like, figuring yeah. out how to play their games at a better level. And uh, it's just it's something I'm not used to, but I try not to be the old man. You know, I don't want to be, a, you know, Grandpa Simpson, old man <laughs> yells at cloud on the front page. You know, I, I've, I've always tried to do that given my, my profession as a teacher. I don't want to, like, you know – poo-poo on anyone's th- like i just try to understand it maybe i do maybe i don't but then what, what was what was always you're saying about don't yuck my don't yuck my yum yeah if, if someone says hey i love this food it like it's not for me but you know don't yuck my yum you don't like it you know uh one, one of the things i learned when i worked in fast food in in college is that at mcdonald's you get the uh, mayonnaise and put some barbecue sauce on it gotta get the mayonnaise from the back oh, not I the packet can, stuff yeah. <laughs> and then you can dip your fries in now you can feel your blood pressure go up but it, it tastes fantastic i haven't had a french fry in years but i definitely that's that's something that's that's one of those things where i learned like hey don't don't you know don't knock something until you've tried sure. it i guess it's probably the more conventional saying so we've gone way off topic <laughs> now that uh you get me talking about food and the movie hoosiers and we could be here all day and nobody else is going to listen to it but i'll definitely talk about it <laughs> but uh that's going to basically wrap up episode 10 tj do you have any final thoughts here to uh wrap it up i hope you get some good barbecue this weekend you know i that that's definitely on the list to go to not one 
not two, but possibly three barbecue places yeah. while we're done. Arthur Bryant's has got to be on the list. Jack Stacks, I, I, I think that's what it's called. Jack Stacks, Oklahoma Joe's. That, okay. Uh, that's in like an old gas station. You're better off if you just, especially in today's day and age, just call ahead and go and get your pickup order at Oklahoma Joe's. And there's a place, Oklahoma Joe's, I think is on the Kansas side. And then there's a place called, uh, is it Woodyard Barbecue, something like that. And they have that, what they call a burnt end chili. So they take the burnt ends off of, you know, the stuff that they've been letting smoke and stuff all day, and they throw that in the chili. We were there one time in July. I mean, it, you sit outside, and it, I'm, I'm sweating my tail off eating chili <laughs> in, like, 95-degree weather. My wife's like, what in the world is wrong with you? But that's something she says every day. So Okay. But while we're on the topic of SEMO hoops, uh, to kind of wrap this up, just wanted to give a shout-out to my brother-in-law, uh, John Boggio, as he made the OVC Commissioner's Honor Roll list twice during his uh, playing career there during the 2002-2003 season and the 03-04 season. Saw that today and uh, just wanted to give a shout out to him as only 24 players have ever made the list from SEMO. Wow. Well, congrats to him. Is that honor rolls for good grades, I assume? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it's like an honorable mention type of thing. So that'll wrap up episode 10 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we do our Mount Rushmore on Valparaiso and Tennessee State, amongst other Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley college basketball talk. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. And a special thanks again to Wyatt Wheeler for taking time out of his day to join the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good